Well, good morning, everybody. Bet you can hear me now. Good to see you. We're going to be in Psalms chapter 38. If you'd uh, turn there with me, I'd appreciate that. Psalm chapter 38. Again, making our way through the Psalms this summer, and uh, we're actually going to try to finish up what they call book one, which is through Psalm 41. Uh, Not today. Don't don't worry, not today. But uh, we're going to finish that up before we head into our next series. Uh, And actually, you'll see a little... uh, flyer in your bulletin that talks about our upcoming series uh, after the Psalms called Watch Your Mouth. So get ready for that one. That'll be a good one. All right. I know it's hard. It's very hard studying for that one for me. Okay. I'm just telling you. So Psalm 38 is where we are today though. And we'll, uh, we'll conclude through Psalm 31, uh, middle, end of September. Um, we are looking at a Psalm. It's a penitent Psalm. It's a Psalm where David uh, goes to God and says, I have messed up. And I, and you know, Jeff, uh, read that Psalm 51 where David confesses his sin and, and asks God to create in him a clean heart and what a wonderful response he had. Um, this psalm, we're, we're not known uh, exactly the circumstances around it, but it could be very well uh, the same thing that, that happened, uh, his sin and error with Bathsheba and Uriah and all that led to that and all that came from that uh, could be very much what he's expressing now, and, uh, and we're going to look through that today. So we're going to look at David's sin, and, and we're going to see basically this sinner who, who responds in three different ways today. So we're going to have three different responses, and as we look through that, I think that you and I uh, should also look to our own heart and say, you know what, I, I can see uh, that I can respond in one of those three ways as well. And sometimes maybe I respond in all three, hopefully in the best way. So uh, we'll, we'll look at that today uh, as well. Um, we all have that choice, though, just like David had here, of, of how we're going to, to look at uh, God's discipline on our lives, how we're going to, uh, to respond when we are in sin, and what we're going to say about that. Uh, so we'll all be given that chance today as well. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll read through the entire passage, uh, Psalm 38, 1 through 22, and then we'll get uh, it broken apart. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful that we get to be here today. Uh, to worship you and, and God, to sing of your mighty grace and your mercy that's been given to us through Jesus Christ. And we thank you that you've offered a way for us through faith in Christ and repentance to come into a saving faith, Lord, a, a position with you that is restored and right where we have good standing before you. Because, God, on our own, we are nothing. So, God, today as we look to the Psalms, as we look to your word, may we have open hearts and open minds to receive from you what you're trying to say to us. We expect you to speak to us, Lord. We've prayed to you now, we're talking to you, and we expect you to speak back. So we want to hear from you today, Lord. So God, uh, in me, just create less of me and more of you. May your spirit dwell here. May it convict us of sin and move us to a place of right relationship with you, which is repentant faith. We trust you and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're in Psalm 38. I'll read uh, the entire psalm. A prayer of a suffering sinner, a psalm of David for remembrance. Lord, do not punish me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have sunk into me and your hand has pressed down on me. There is no soundness in my body because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have flooded over my head. They are a burden too heavy for me to bear. My wounds are foul and festering because of my foolishness. I am bent over and brought very low all day long. I go around in mourning, for my insides are full of burning pain, and there is no soundness in my body. I am faint and severely crushed. 
I groan because of the anguish of my heart. Lord, my every desire is in front of you. My sighting is not hidden, or sighing is not hidden from you. My heart races, my, my strength leaves me, and even the light of my eyes has faded. My loved ones and friends stand back from my affliction, and my relatives stand at a distance. Those who intend to kill me set traps, and those who want to harm me threaten to destroy me. They plot treachery all day long. I am like a deaf person I do not hear. I am like a speechless person who does not open his mouth. I am like a man who does not hear and has no arguments in his mouth. For I put my hope in you, Lord. You will answer me, my Lord, my God. For I said, do not let them rejoice over me, those who are arrogant toward me when I stumble. For I am about to fall and my pain is constantly with me. So I confess my iniquity. I am anxious because of my sin. But my enemies are vigorous and powerful. Many hate me for no reason. Those who repay evil for good attack me for pursuing good. Lord, do not abandon me, my God. Do not be far from me. Hurry to help me, my Lord, my salvation. This is the word of the Lord. So today we're going to look at uh, three different responses that David had. And I think three things that I can see at least clearly in my own life and my own response when I'm, when I'm in sin and when I'm in, in uh, despair. And I, th- I think you and I could probably agree that you see it and I see it both in our own lives uh, as we go through. So first, as we look at the suffering sinner's response, the first section of Scripture, verses 1 through 8, we're going to look at. Uh, number one is this, that, that, that he focuses on himself, right? It's, we, we, we respond by focusing on ourselves, and we experience the pain of sin. When we focus on ourselves, we experience the pain of sin. Now, as you go through this, it may be helpful, it was for me, to think of children, right? And I have children, and I, tell, I share their stories probably too much with you. But I have children, right? I have young children who um, I can see it in their, their eyes. I can see it in their, their little behaviors and their behavioral issues and cues that, that there's like this childish behavior. Well, I think if I really looked in the mirror, I could see that in my own life as well. That I throw a little two-year-old, three-year-old, five-year-old, 40-year-old tantrums with the Lord, right? Anyone with me there? Thank you. At least a couple of us are in that same boat, all right? So we're going to see ourselves here. And when we focus on ourselves, we experience the pain of sin. Uh, Let's look at verses 1 and 2. He says, Lord, do not punish me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath, for your arrows have sunk uh, into me and your hand has pressed down on me. David's feeling something here, isn't he? And what he's feeling, he's saying, God, it's in your wrath, it's in your anger, it's in your response, you're disciplining me. And it's very important for us to understand, God's, God has a holy anger, right? And when we talk about parents disciplining their children, we are not to discipline their, our children in anger, right? We are to do so because we love them, want them to, to succeed and to be righteous and to be holy and make good choices. That's what God is doing with David, right? He has a holy anger, and we could call it that, but it's discipline. It's God's discipline out of love for David. I want to read a couple of, of uh, passages here of Scripture. Uh, one out of Proverbs chapter 3. The, the, the writer says this, uh, Do not despise the Lord's instruction, my son. Do not loathe his discipline. So there's that despising and loathing that happens when we feel like we're being punished, right? That's the word punished we use that, right? Like, I'm just being punished. Like, why don't you like me? But really what we're being is disciplined, right? Don't despise the Lord's instructions, It's he's instructing us and do not loathe his discipline. He's correcting us, guiding us, training us. For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves. And just as a father disciplines 
the son in whom he delights. So when, when David cries out, Lord, I feel punished here. I'm, be, I'm being beat up here. Why are you doing this? You seem like you, you're angry. You don't like me. This is probably what should come to mind. Oh, wait, no, he loves me. It's not him, it's me that's in error, right? And I, I'll even say there are times where it's me in error in my own relationship with my children, right? With the way I discipline. And I have to repent of that and let them know that was wrong. The Lord never has to do that with us, does he? He's always right and always just, and he always disciplines how he should discipline us. It doesn't mean that we like it. In fact, the, 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 the wisdom author here in Proverbs says, don't despise it, don't loathe it, because you're probably going to. So I'm giving you a heads up, don't do that when it comes. And then it says, your arrows have sunk deep into me, your hand has pressed down on me. Do you feel that weight? That, your hand, it's like, God, your, your hand is down on my, on my body, on my being, on my soul. Uh, in Psalm 39, which we'll dive into next week, but a little glimpse of that, verse 10 and 11. Remove your torment from me. This is how it feels, right? Remove your torment from me because of the force of your hand, I am finished. What does that, what does that imply? Is there, is there a way to move under God's hand like that? No, I mean, it feels paralyzing. It feels like I, I just can't do it. But it's like that kid who just can't wiggle out of discipline, right? You discipline a person with punishment for iniquity, right? You're, you're disciplining someone because of sin, he says, consuming like a moth what is precious to him. Yes, every human being is only a vapor, Selah. We'll get into that more next week. But, but think about this, right? We feel that oppressive hand of God when it, when it comes against us and what is precious to us. So do you see that there's God's will and, it, and my will at odds with one another? God's like, I, I'd like you to do it my way. I'm your father. I'm going to correct you and discipline you. I'm going to bring you up the way you should go. And as soon as what's precious to me becomes more valuable... What's going to happen? I'm going to feel that pressure. I'm going to feel that discipline. It's, it's a real feeling that goes in, into us, right? If we don't listen to the words of his heart, we are going to feel the weight of his hand. If we don't feel, listen to the words of his heart, we are going to feel the weight of his hand. And I know we're like, wait, you're saying, Brandon, this is discipline from God. Yeah, this is what the scriptures say. What, what David is experiencing is discipline from the Lord. All of this affliction is because of his sin and his unrepentant heart and his relationship with the Lord. And you're like, ah, that sounds odd. No, it doesn't. Listen, you and I both know and would both confess, all of us would confess, that we are champions for discipline, aren't we? We are champions uh, and, and we encourage discipline. We encourage rebuke. We encourage consequences. And maybe you're like, well, I don't, I don't always do it with my kids. I know, because you're lazy sometimes, you're afraid to. I get it. I'm the same way. But when are we the best champions for this? What's that? Someone else's kids. Someone else. It's like either someone else is messing up, like, man, they really are messing up. They should do. Or their kids. Isn't that the worst? You're sitting in a crowded airport, or you're, you're like, kids are acting up, or, and you're like, they should really discipline their children. I bet you've said that about me and my kids. Right, Because you're a champion for discipline. You're a champion for consequences and, and structure. We are all champions of that until it comes down on us, right? Like, wait, no, no, I didn't, I didn't say discipline me. That's not what I wanted, right? But it's someone else's kids. They're acting up. But David was suffering, and, and, and the author in Hebrews writes to this as well. He says in uh, chapter 12, verse 7, Endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons or daughters. 
For what son is there that a father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, which all receive, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. If God is, if, listen, if you claim to be a Christian, if you have put your faith in Christ and he is yours and you are his, he is going to discipline you. And if you aren't receiving discipline, it means you're not actually a child of God. And that should scare you, right? We think discipline scares us. No, no discipline should scare us. Furthermore, we all have human fathers discipline us, and we respected them. Now, I, I know there's the exception to the rule, right? But overarching, you look back and say, man, even if they was a little harsh, I respected him. I respected her. I respected what they did and how they, how they acted and how they disciplined me. Shouldn't we submit even more to the Father of spirits and live, the author says. Even more so, shouldn't we have a respect for the Father in heaven, the Father of, of the Spirit of God that resides in us and indwells each believer and brings life? Aren't his ways good? Aren't his ways better? Aren't his ways best for us? Shouldn't we then submit to him? The answer, of course, is yes. They, that is our fathers, earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time based on what seemed good to them, but he does it for our benefit so that we can share in his holiness. Right There, there is this, this idea, I want to identify with Christ. I want to look more and more like Christ. And when people look at me, I want them to see Christ as well. And he goes on just confirming what we know. No discipline seems enjoyable. Right? No, no discipline seems enjoyable. But painful, he says. However, later on, it will yield a, the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained up in it. So what does it yield? It's really yielding humility. It's yielding submission. When we come face to face with our sin and we know that we're sinful and separated, we don't say, well, I, I'm not, I'm just, I, it's a bad, a bad time in my life. No, I, I've come, come to the Lord and say, Lord, I need to humble myself, get over myself, stop focusing on myself, and, and say, here is my sin. So we, we yield ourselves to him in humility, and that brings about this fruit of righteousness and peace. And this righteousness is kind of a, a two-pronged thing. One, it's a righteousness in us, right, internally, knowing that, that God has paid it all for me that he died on the cross, that, that what he accomplished said, you would never be good enough. He endured the discipline and the wrath that I really do deserve. And he, he, disciplined, he, he endured the wrath that you really do deserve when he died on that cross. So when I put my faith in him, he says, okay, it's not because you're good and awesome, it's because of what I have done. I will give you righteousness. I will make you pure. I'll make you perfect. So there's this righteousness that happens on the inside that when we stand before God, we are justified we're cleansed. We're in right standing. But it's also an external righteousness. As we are disciplined by the Lord, this yields and produces a fruit in us of righteousness that is external. What does that mean? What is external righteousness? It, good fruit. It's, you're going to look a certain way. You're going you're to actually look like you are serious about your faith. You're going to actually look like Jesus means something. You actually look like the Holy Spirit lives inside of you and you're cooperating and submissive to the Holy Spirit. That, it's external. Too, I think too many of us pause and say, well, yeah, he's dealt with me internally. I've still got a lot of hang-ups and I'm still not willing to give up some of those things. And so externally, it just looks horrible. right? But we still, we're still focusing on ourselves here. Listen, we need to understand we are free to disobey the Lord, but we are not free from the consequences of that. If we are a child of God, he is going to deal with us like a loving father would deal with us, and he is going to discipline us. If we go back to our text and look at verses 3 through 8, 
what, what does this look like? He says, there's no soundness in my body. Right? There's no health in my bones. But he says this in the end of verse 3. Why is it? It's because of my sins. So now he's, he's acknowledging this. He's, he's seeing like, there's, I know I've messed up. My iniquities have flooded over my head. They are a burden too heavy for me to bear. He, he gets it. He's guilty. He's guilty. So instead of, what should his response be to that guilt? Sorrow and confession, repentance. What does he do? He says, poor me, my wounds are foul and festering. I am bent over and brought low. I go around mourning all the time. My insides are burning with pain. There's no soundness in my body. I am faint and severely crushed. I groan because of the anguish within my heart. It's a description of what he's suffering, but it's, it's also a bit of a pity party, isn't it? And I want you to think about this. Like, we are going to suffer. Because sin entered the world, death entered the world. You and I are going to get sick. We're going to have our stubbed toes and broken legs and cancers and whatever else. It's going to happen. Even without us sinning directly. It's just going to happen because sin is in the world and death is in the world. How we respond is so important to that. And I think you, you and I both probably know people who are pity party, self, self-obsessed people who are always poor me, poor me, poor me. And there's no faith and there's no, you know what, I'm going to trust in God even though I'm, going to, I'm still going to trust. I'm going to use it as an opportunity to remind myself, like fasting would remind me that I'm hungry. Pain reminds me that it's not fun, so I'm going to focus on the Lord. Right? There are those people, like, like, they're probably our neighbors, maybe someone sitting next to you who is in just as much pain but you would never know because their hope is not in that being gone. Their hope is in Jesus. Now, let's talk about affliction because here we're saying that affliction comes from sin. Like sin actually would cause these illnesses. Let's, let's see what, is that right? Is that true? The answer is yes, that is true. And we see it in Scripture. Uh, John 5 12 through 14, he healed, healed the man, said, pick up your mat and walk. And they were asking him, who did this? And, but the man who was healed didn't know who it was because Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. But after this, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, so Jesus had come up again. He, they knew he, they were talking about who did this. And he comes up to the man who he healed. He said, see, you are well. Right? I healed you. I took care of it. You're awesome, right? But do not sin anymore so something worse doesn't happen to you. Is there a cause and effect relationship between sin and suffering? Absolutely there is, right? You make the wrong decision. It's, it's the, it, we say, well, it's just my choice. It's, it's my truth. I'm living. No, that, that's, there's God's way and there's yours and other ways, but it's not the right way. right? When, when we follow God's parameters, even unbelievers who would look to the Scripture and follow it would be better off for it. So when we go against the natural design, and that's what we're saying is, is God has designed all of creation, that means me and you included, to behave and act and respond a certain way, and there's a certain way in that that is the right way and the best way. And should we not respond in the best way? It's going to bring about consequences on our lives, right? We can see that cause, cause and effect relationship. We also, though, have seen the other Psalms where you're like, why are the evil prospering? Right? Where's the cause and effect relationship there? And what's the hope we have? There will be a day where they will no longer get away with that. Right? What's the truth? It's all kinds of messed up. That's the truth. Okay? But we definitely know that the this, this, this sin idea, the, not idea, sin, there's an effect for sin 
in us and to us. We see this in all kinds of different places in Scripture you can look at. You know, your body's not your own, right? Uh, so we talk about sexual sin. When, when every uh, sin outside the body is only outside the body, but sexual sin is what? Inside the body. So there's this relationship and, and that, that something happens, right, because of sin. And it could be emotionally, right? It could be uh, mentally. It could be relationally. Now, let me just ask, with those three things, emotions, spiritual, right, and, and, and relationally, if those things are out of whack, would that cause maybe something else? Would, has anyone ever experienced physical right, thing, effects from that? Absolutely. We see that. Those things are, if those things are out of whack, you're, you're going to feel that down deep inside your bones. Okay? So yes, yeah, sin can equal suffering. Then we see in John chapter 9, right? They're passing by, there's a blind man from birth, and his disciples asked him, what did they ask? He must be a sinner, right? He says, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, because he was blind? They, they just said, this is because of sin. They just absolutely assumed that, right? What did Jesus say? Neither, this man or his parents sinned. This came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. We, we, don't, we don't like to endure suffering that way, do we? We don't like to, to say, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm suffering so, so that God's glory might be displayed, that God's works might be displayed in me. But that's, that's what we just juxtaposed a minute ago, right? The pity, par- pity party person who is, oh, poor me, look at me, I'm so afflicted, I wish I wasn't like this. And then the person who has the same illness or the same ailments or the same hardships and suffering, but they walk with their head as high as they can so the glory of God could be seen working in them. So the hope of Christ, the joy of Christ would be what elevates them. This is true in Christians. Think about a lot, losing a loved one, right? The way we mourn, the way we grieve, the way we weep. We, we, we don't weep as those who have no, what's the word? Hope. Christ followers live in hope. So sin can equal suffering, but suffering can also be, and I'd say all of suffering should be treated for you and I, as something to be used for the glory of God. For the glory of God. You might notice we're partaking in Lord's Supper later today. We're going to come up and partake in that. And, and there was actually some talk about this to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 11. So I'm, I want to just freak you all out right now. You ready? Paul says, Whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and the blood of the Lord. So I know I'm going to say go. You're going to, your, your butt is going to be like glued to your seat, isn't it? Like, I'm not going, I'm not going, I'm not going. Well, I don't want to be guilty. What's well, an unworthy way? Let's continue on. Uh, let each person examine himself in this way, then let him eat and drink the cup. So th- there's a proper way, and it's a, it's a self-examination saying, it's not about poor me, it's not about I can do better, it's not about like I'm going to hide in shame or I'm going to hide in guilt. It's that, look at me, I am a sinful person, we'll get to this answer in a minute, but we respond repentantly to the Lord saying, God, I'm confessing my sin, I'm acknowledging my sin, I'm acknowledging that you are the only one that can deal with it. And I'll find my hope and my joy in you. And because of your sacrifice on the cross, because of what you have accomplished, I can then partake freely. And Because I'm living freely. If we live in guilt, and if we live in sin, and shame, and remorse, if we live in this pity party mode, it is unworthy. He says, whoever eats this and drinks this without recognizing the body drinks judgment upon himself. He says, here's what he says, this is why many are sick and ill among you, and many have died. You guys ready to take Lord's Supper now? I mean, it's true, right? There's this sin, this, this 
unworthy manner of living that causes this to happen. So we, we should be properly judging. It says, if we were to properly judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned with the world. It's in, that's in 1 Corinthians, the same passage about Lord's Supper. God's disciplining us in that, that we can look into our heart, we can properly judge ourselves and then know that we have been judged by God and then through Christ we have been acquitted and that we are no longer condemned. But there has to be humility. We must let go of our pity party and our shame and we must, must enjoy his forgiveness. Again, if we don't listen to the words of his heart, we will feel the weight of his hand. So listen, he is a good, good father. And he's a father that's correcting us and he's molding us and he's protecting us and he's working on us and he's working in us. Endure suffering as discipline. Well, that's the first response. He was very self-centered in that. Well, what's the second response he has? Number two, suffering sinner's response was this, a focus on others and experiencing the loneliness of sin. When you focus on others, you experience the loneliness of sin. Back to Psalm 38, 9 through 14. Lord, my every desire is in front of you. My sighting is not hidden from you. He says, God, you know my heart. You know my longing. You know the real depths here. I might be throwing a pity party, but you know me. He's starting to turn a corner a little bit, but then what happens? My heart races. My strength leaves me, and even the light of my eyes has faded. My loved ones and friends stand back from my affliction, and my relatives stand at a distance. Like People that he loved and people that loved him are like, I don't want to be a part of what's going on here. I mean, have you ever been in that, that, that mentality? Like you see this pity party happening, you see this affliction, he's like, I, dude, get out of your pajamas and take a shower for crying out loud. Like, let's, if you want to get out of the mire, let's get out of the mire. But if they don't want to get out of the mire, what do you do? Like, I'm just going to be over here when you're ready to get out of the mire, right? That's what his friends did. Those who intend to kill me, so his friends did that. And then those who intend to kill me set traps. Those who want to harm me threaten uh, to destroy me. They plot treachery all day long. What's his focus on now? Those around him. Oh, my friends and my family, the people I thought I trusted the most, they're not here to help me through this and to be a shoulder I can cry on. And only when they come, they tell me what I should read or what I should do and how I should get over this. I, I just, I, I hate it. What, what, what is he doing? He's, he's, he's saying, it's their fault. If someone would properly help me, then I'd be out of this. That is a wrong attitude to have about your brothers and sisters in Christ. Listen, when I sin, it's on me. And it's on me to repent of my sin and to come to reconciliation with the Father and with the body of Christ. Yes, it is also on you to point it out and say, hey, listen, Brandon, you're, you're in trouble here. This is causing a problem. There is division. There needs to be reconciliation. You better do something here. But then it's up to me to what? Not say, oh, you just hate me. To say, you know what? You're right. Right? Isn't it like you, you, we have that attitude? Like, I, I can't believe it. They came up and told me I was wrong because you were wrong. Like, you can't believe it. We, I think we just can't believe that they said something out loud to us. But isn't that what a, a brother or sister in Christ is supposed to do? Aren't we supposed to do that with compassion and grace and gentleness and say, listen, brother, listen, sister. I heard you say this, or I saw you did this. Hey, this is happening, and I want you to let you know this is what it's looking like to the world. Let's talk about that. Can we pray about that? Can we, can we think about how this better, might better look? 
or better be for you, right? And for you and I, we can be like David, say, I'm going to focus on others and I'm experience what? Loneliness. What happened? He was isolated. He said, I'm, I'm, nobody's around me. If you or I are feeling isolated, please stop blaming the church. Nobody calls. Nobody cares. They care. They care. They love you. Reach out. Say something. You and I need to put ourselves in a place of relationship with the body of Christ. That's why it's important to be here. It's important to be a part of the body of Christ. To put ourselves in a relationship with the body of Christ that says, listen, I have blind spots and I need you to be my wingman. I need you to show me what's going on and tell me this is wrong, this is up. I need that in my life and you need that in your life. But we have to have that mentality and that attitude that says, I, I, I'm ready for that, I want that. I will, I will receive compassionate, gracious criticism from my brothers and sisters in Christ because they have my back. And I will not then say, well, you don't know the whole story. Go away from me. What I was saying was right anyway. I don't want to, I don't want to hear it because I will then push them away. And in pushing them away, what am I really doing? Pushing myself into isolation so I can have more of a pity party. This is what he was experiencing in this as well. You and I can't do that. He said, I'm like a deaf person. I, I don't hear. I'm like a speechless person who does not open his mouth. I'm like a, a man who does not hear and has no arguments in his mouth. De even his enemies who said, you're bad. He couldn't say, no, I'm not. He had nothing to say to them. He couldn't. And at some point, it, the ridicule got extreme and they plotted against him. So eventually he says, my hope is in you, Lord. I'm, I'm, I need to turn my focus to you and let you resolve this in me so I can live in a different way, right? But he, he has nothing to say in his defense because he is defenseless. So David's focusing on the people around him. He's feeling abandoned. He's feeling lonely. People who, who shouldn't or who, sh who should be encouraging him from the beginning, who sh he should allow to encourage him from, from the beginning, people who should comfort him, right, are, are keeping their distance. And his enemies obviously want him to die, this is, what's this is what happens when we don't want people around us to, to say something. Galatians, Paul says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in a wrongdoing, that, that could be you or me, by the way. The someone they're talking about could be me. If someone is overtaken in a wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out, though. Here, here's why people are keeping their distance. Because that person, that someone is David, and he doesn't want to hear it. Watching out for yourselves so that you won't also be tempted. When that person doesn't want to hear, when that person doesn't want to repent, doesn't want to change, like, I'm okay, I'm, I don't want to go into that. I don't want to go head, headlong into that, that temptation or that mire. I want to stay away from that. Uh, and when you're ready, I'll talk, right? Because it says, carry one another's burdens and in this way, fulfill the law of Christ. So there's a burden carrying that has to be done, but it's really hard when we say, I'm going to focus on you and, as, a, as a target of my anger, as, as actually, I'm going to point my finger as it's their fault rather than looking right here. Proverbs says this, the wounds of a friend are trustworthy, but the kisses of an enemy are excessive, right? We, we don't want to be kissed by an enemy, right? We want to be wounded from a friend. They can be trusted. So you and I need to put ourselves in that position uh, that David wasn't doing yet, right? Where we can say, listen, I have blind spots. I need to know them. Uh, I'm going to stop blaming others for my problems, and instead I'm going to take responsibility for them, and I'm going to let others point out the error of my ways, the blind spots in my life, with compassion and using God's word. That's so important to do. So we see one response. Oh, poor me, I'm looking at myself and I, I, see, I feel the pain. 
The second response is I look at others, I focus on others, and I, it leads to isolation and loneliness, right? It's their fault, them, 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 not me. What's the third response? What's the right response? <clears throat> Confess, right? Number three, focus on the Lord and experience the forgiveness of sin. So we've seen the pain of sin, we've seen the loneliness of sin, and now when we turn our attention away from ourselves and away from others, and we focus ourselves on the Lord, we're experiencing the forgiveness of sin. Verse 15. For I put my hope in you, Lord. You will answer me, my, my Lord and my God. For I said, do not let them rejoice over me for uh, those who are arrogant toward me when I stumble. He says, for I'm about to fall and my pain is constantly with me. So, verse 18, so what? I confess my iniquity. I am anxious because of my sin. He says, listen, this is on me. I have done this. This is on me. But he says, my, my enemies are vigorous and powerful. And he says, I'm not, right? Many hate me for no reason. Those who repay evil for good attack me uh, for pursuing good. Right? He, maybe he's tried it at some point, and we see in other songs where he's tried to talk to him. He's tried to defend himself. It's not working, right? It doesn't work. Here he can't even speak. Lord, verse 21, here's his, his plea. He says, it's my iniquity. I confess my sin. So Lord, do not abandon me. My God, do not be far from me. Hurry up to help me, my Lord, in my salvation. He has this right perspective now on God, his Savior. Right? For the third time, David addresses the Lord here. But this time, he gets down to business, and he finally deals with his sins. Not only did David want to be delivered from his anguish, he also wanted to not be used as an excuse for his enemies to gloat or look at the Lord poorly. That's, a, that's an important part of this, right? When, what are people saying about my response to my sin? It's, it, I've had this talk so many times with people. Because normally we wanted to say, okay, I've sinned. I'm good. I'll straighten up. I'll get in, in the Word. But listen, when we have sinned, we've usually sinned against not only God, but somebody else. And what does true repentance look like then? What do we have to do? Go to that person and deal with that. And, and it's, I know it's incredibly difficult to do that. I, I, I want... I want us to be able to practice that kind of humility, though. Like, if I've erred in some way, what I understand is that, has, that was disobedient to the Lord, and it was a sin against a person as well. So, okay, I've dealt with the Lord, and I, God, this is a sin, this is wrong, please forgive me, I, I want to I be better, I want to be righteous, help me to do that, discipline me. But now what do I have to do? I have tarnished the name of the Lord. That matters to me, right? It should matter to you, because it certainly matters to the Lord, so what does that look like? You go to that person. And, and several weeks ago, I, I shared this story with my son on my lap, right, where he's clinching up and he didn't want, to, didn't want to say sorry. What do you do with that person? Listen, so-and-so, I was wrong when I said this or did this. And I need you to know that's, that was not appropriate. It was, I sinned against you. I sinned against God. And I want you to know I'm sorry. And I'm asking you to forgive me. That's what we do. That's how we do it. Because now it's, it has the burden of sin has actually all been taken off your shoulders. And it's been extended to another person. You're right with God. And now you're, it's, it's off of you, so you're right in your own self. That person now has a choice of whether they're going to, how they're going to respond. Hopefully they're going to respond similarly. They may not. They may take your confession and say, stiff it, stuff it, whatever, get out of here. I'm gone. I'm done with you. Okay. But what have you done? You've repented. You've gone and said, I was wrong. 
So when, when they go to their friends and say, I can't believe that such, such and such a person did this. Really, yeah, then they came over to my house. Oh, really, what'd they say? They said they were wrong. They said that they were sinful against God and me. They said they were sorry. And it looked like they actually meant it, actually. And they asked me to forgive them. Well, oh, but I'm not going is to. There, is there a handle on you anymore? It's not, right? There's nothing. No one can grab you and say, well, see, see. No, it's all, I've done away with that. I don't have to have that burden on me anymore. I'm, I'm free because I went and said I was wrong. I sinned. I'm sorry. Please forgive. It's, it, it's amazing how quickly that goes away. Uh, there's just in psychology the idea of how this works, right? Usually, like, like if you, you want to attack somebody because I want to be, def- be seen as better, right? So I want to one-up you. You ever do this game? You ever have this conversation? It's not really a game, is it? It's actually a conversation you have with that family reunion with so-and-so. And, and why? Well, then I had a story. Well, my story. What do you do all day long? It gets so tiring. Like, who's going to win this? You know how quickly it stops? When you humble yourself. So think of it this way. I, if, if I elevate myself, the person around me feels like they need to what? Elevate themselves. And then I need to what? Elevate myself. And we might keep doing that, and there's just a real big problem. But if we are here, and I come to you and say, I'm a real doofus. I really messed up. Where does that person have to go? They're, they don't have to go up. They're already up. I just elevated them by, by de-escalating, right? By confessing my sin. Do you know what normally happens in that situation? Normally, not always, because people are not always good. You know what happens in this situation where when I say, I, I've wronged you, you know what that person does? They usually reach down and pick you up. Say, you know what? It's okay. It's like if you're in an office situation and you're, you're joking around like, and you're the brunt of the joke and you try to defend yourself. The minute you say, oh, yeah, I was, I was ridiculous, or you say the joke, everyone, what are they? oh, no, it's not a big deal. Don't worry about it. It just stops. It, it, it diffuses the whole thing. That's what, that's what repentance does for our soul. The feelings that David was experiencing, the, the, heart, the heart and the soul and the whole body, that's, that's what forgiveness does. It takes that away. So you and I have experienced that when we come to faith in Christ. That's why we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Come and say, God, you've done something. I've come to you in repentance and asked you for forgiveness. And and you said, yes, I'll forgive you. And the weight of that sin and guilt and shame has been removed through faith in Jesus Christ. So we celebrate. So we partake knowing that he did it all for me. Same is true in relationships. Now, you might not get the forgiveness that Jesus offers you, right? You'll get his but you may not get that from somebody else. But he still says that we are to repent of our sins. There's an encouragement in Deuteronomy 31. Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified or afraid of them. Who's the them? All these enemies of David, right? There's the enemies of Israel. For you and me, it's that person that I wronged and I need to go say sorry to. Don't be terrified or afraid of them. For the Lord your God is, is the one who will go with you, and he will not leave or abandon you. That's why David prayed, Lord, don't abandon me. Be near me. Hurry to my, my help, and, my, and you are my salvation. He knew that God would be with him. He didn't need to be terrified. Looking back like last week or the week before, we talked about the struggle, right, of, of, of what causes fights and wars among us. 
What causes this battle in my heart to wage and, and to rage and go against God and go against repentance? What did James say? Doesn't it come from the desires and passions that wage war from within you? Right? Why would I be at a pity party? Because I want to look a certain way. Why would I blame others? Because I don't want it to be my fault. I want. It comes from my wants. But James went on to say, submit to God. Right? God, God says he resists the proud, gives grace to the humble. So re- submit to God. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. Draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands. Purify your hearts. Be miserable. Mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and then he will exalt you. So there's this, this transfer. It says, I'm not going to be about pity party, making me look as good as I possibly can or pointing some other fault out in someone else so that I look better. I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to come to the Lord and humble myself before him. Seek forgiveness. I'm going to seek that forgiveness with other people too because in humility is when we are then exalted. Sin abounds when I want my own way. But when I humble myself and submit to God and resist the devil, that is what repentance looks like this. You and I cannot win through pride or shame. We can only win through humility. I want you to think about this last thing as we close. The remember. I thought it was so fitting for today as we remember. We, we partake in the Lord's Supper. We do this in remembrance of Him. Right. Look at the top of the psalm. The, 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 I read this during the opening reading. It's a prayer of the suffering sinner. It says, a psalm of David for what? Remembrance. It's a memorial psalm. It's for remembrance. Why would he say that? Any thoughts? Yeah. Why do we want to learn and remember history, what's already happened? So we don't repeat it i got to remember what I did and how I acted. i got to remember who God is and how He was mighty to save and mighty to rescue. I need to remember His mercy. We see that in Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 2. Lord, I have heard the report about You. Lord, I stand in awe of Your deeds. Revive Your work in these years. Now, if you know what that meant, when Habakkuk said, revive Your work in these years, he knew that God's discipline was coming. And he even prayed, God, revive Your work. Let's see it. Bring, bring on Your discipline Lord, make it known right now. But he said this, in your wrath, in your discipline, he says, remember mercy. Remember mercy. So what is this for you and I? As we say, it's a remembrance. Two two people need to remember here, right? It's a remembrance for David, isn't it? And he's calling on the Lord to remember his mercy. The Lord didn't forget, by the way. The Lord knows who he is. The Lord is disciplining because he's holy and perfect and and an awesome father. And he will not forget his mercy. But this is for you and I, David and us, to, to say, God, I need to remember your mercy. That you are merciful, that you are gracious, that I can always run to you, that I can humble myself and come to you and experience the freedom that I really need. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there's now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jumping down to verse 28, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. What does that mean? We know that all things that are going on, all my suffering, all my pain, whatever I'm enduring now, is going to work itself out. That God is doing something incredible that I can't even necessarily see. And that there is still no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And God is still up to something good for those he's called to himself. Go down to 31. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, 
Who can be against us? He did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. This is what it means for us to remember mercy, that in Christ there is no more condemnation. We don't have to have a pity party. We don't have to look to others and and blame them. We can confess our sin and know there's no condemnation, that there is forgiveness of sin, that he didn't even spare his own son. So then who can bring accusation against God's elect? God's the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more, has been raised. And he is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. He goes to bat for us, and he is alive. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? This is for you and I to remember. Remember mercy. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction, can distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. When David says, remember mercy, or when he, when he says it's done in remembrance, and Habakkuk says, remember mercy, it is a charge for you and I in the middle of the, of the depth of our sin and sorrow and pain and suffering and sickness to say, oh God, you are still good. God, you are still merciful. And I will put my hope and trust in you. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together and pray as we get ready to partake together. Worship team, if you would go ahead and grab your elements now. I know the bread is, is separated out. As you come up, um, we're going to pray and we're going to sing some songs and, uh, and have an opportunity of response. And, and for you and I, that is a response to, to the Lord Jesus and what he's done. My hope right now is that for all of us, we would look at our own heart and say, God, I, I, am, I am having this big pity party or I am blaming others or, or God, I just need to stop. I need to humble myself and I need to, to trust you and I need to let you be the God of mercy. I need to remember mercy. What I want you to do is as they begin to play in a minute, they're going to play a few a few. Uh, verses just quietly, just as an instrumental. I want you to, what I want you to do is remember mercy. I want you to judge your own heart. I want you to make sure you come taking this in a worthy manner, not to bring judgment upon yourself. That you don't come here thinking, oh, I'm, I'm squared away. Look how good I am. I'm in church today. You come saying, oh, I remember mercy. God, you are merciful and gracious to forgive. And as I go to partake, I partake in, in the bread, which symbolizes the body you gave for me. And the, the juice represents the blood that you shed for me. And I'm not going to take that lightly. That is your mercy for me. And in Christ, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's how we partake today. So I want you to be, be, be quiet there and think through that. The way we'll partake is you come down the middle aisle at, at when you are ready. You can come down that middle aisle. I would just make this a discipline, though, of, of kind of solitude and, and not, not of conversations. This is between you and the Lord right now. Certainly your brothers and sisters are going to be side by side with you. But think about this. And, and you come down and you, you partake with you or your family or let someone know if you need, need hey, your neighbor to get you one because you might not be able to make the walk up here. Let us know that. Right? Ask them to help you with that. But then grab the elements, the juice and the, and the cracker. They're in separate things today. And go out the outside and go find your seat again. And you can stand and, and continue singing. But hold on to those elements. And after that first song is done, uh, I'll come back up and, and we'll, we'll read Scripture. We'll pray and we'll partake together. Listen, here's another unworthy way to partake of this. If you're not a believer, if the blood and body of Jesus has meant nothing to you, this is not for you. I would encourage you to watch, 
to observe what we're doing and why it's a big deal. But I would encourage you even more today to repent of your sin and to trust Christ as Savior, to feel his mercy and to know his mercy and to move into a place of forgiveness and freedom because of Jesus and then taste and see that he is good with us. I'd encourage you to do that. God, thank you so much for your love and your mercy. God, as we come today, our desire uh, is is not to puff ourselves up, not to say uh, that we're anything good, but God, to say that you are, that you are everything to us and your mercy and your grace are just unbelievable. And we thank you so much for what you've done for us and what's been accomplished on the cross. So God, today as we partake, may, we, may, may that remind us of your mercy. Remind us of the humility that it takes, God, to live free from sin and shame and guilt. We thank you and we give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.